This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Brought to you by high-performing new carbine insecticide from FMC. Carbine Insecticide delivers fast, selective, and extended control of aphids in alfalfa and pulses, leaving beneficials like lady beetles to help in the fight. Ask your retailer today. Hello, my name is Derek Cluche, and I'm the editor for Top Crop Manager West. And today we welcome John Gavlowski, an etymologist with Manitoba Agriculture, as well as Rachel Evans, Technical Sales Manager for the Eastern Prairies with FMC Canada. John and Rachel are going to talk to us a little bit today about the current aphid situation or the impending aphid situation as they see it, including what they expect to see this year as far as numbers, migration, and overall impact on crops. Welcome to the podcast, John and Rachel. Well, thanks for having us. Thanks, Derek. No problem. Let's get right into it. Um, So, John, can you tell me a little bit about what it is about aphids that's unique and makes them a potential pest in so many crops? Yeah, so first of all, uh, aphids are extremely diverse. We've got roughly 850 species of aphids that have been found or identified in Canada. So you've got lots of different types. And almost any plant or crop probably has a type of aphid that feeds on it. In the case of uh, peas and faba beans and lentils, pea aphid is the main one. Now, aside from being diverse, they've got a really unique means of reproducing. They're, they're basically built for quick reproduction. So the pea aphid, it, it can overwinter here, doesn't overwinter great here. A lot will end up blowing in, but the ones that do, when the eggs hatch in the spring, we, we call those aphid stem mothers. They don't, they're all female. There's no males. They don't, there's no mating going on. They're just producing clones of themselves. And those young clones in one to two weeks, depending on the temperature, they can reproduce. And again, no matings uh, going on. There's no males, 100% females at this point, just producing more clones of themselves. Uh, And they're not even laying eggs. They're just giving birth to live young. So you've skipped the mating step, you've skipped the egg step. Uh, again, their, their life cycle is geared to this quick reproduction. And now later in the season, there will be males, there will be mating, there will be eggs produced. That's late in the season. But early in the season, there is that potential to build the population up really quickly because of all these changes or, or differences in their reproductive cycle compared to other insects. Now, Granted, they're easy prey for a lot of things, so uh, not to scare people, it doesn't mean we have this exponential growth all season uh, on all our crops. That will depend, uh, what the extent of the growth on the crops will depend on natural enemies, weather, other factors. But there is that potential for rapid growth uh, if we don't have things regulating the population. Okay, and speaking of that potential for rapid growth, what are what are you expecting to see this season when it comes to aphids? Are there any, are there any particular areas that you're looking at? Well, historically, we often do get pea aphid levels, at least in peas, and uh, I know for the west and the prairies, faba beans and lentils, we do get populations that uh, become economical 
quite regularly. Now, so far this year is more of a good news story regarding aphids. We're already getting into the latter part of June, and we haven't really seen a lot of big populations yet, a lot of damaging populations. That can change quickly. But so far, uh, well, I'm keeping an eye on a patch of alfalfa near Carmen here, and I've been monitoring aphid levels over the past several weeks. And actually, our, our levels last week dropped from the previous week. Don't know what's going on there, was finding some predators. It could be weather related in this case. I, I've talked to some agronomists who have been out sweeping and checking their peas. Uh, it's a little early, but they've been wanting to see what's there. They are finding pea aphid, but nobody's been reporting to me anyway, any uh, high levels. And same thing with the other crops, the cereal crops. No reports of big levels yet, no reports of soybean aphid. We usually don't see them until uh, into July. So, so far it's been low key for aphids, um, not the same for some other insects that blow in, but I haven't had any reports of big populations yet. But as mentioned, that can change quickly. Perfect. And speaking of weather, before the podcast, we were talking about how in Western Canada, it's been it's been quite hot and dry so far this year. O- only recently, Alberta started to see some cooler, wetter temperatures. And in Manitoba right now, it's extremely hot and humid there. So what impact could weather have on aphid numbers this year? Okay, it can affect them in a couple of ways. Now, first of all, if we do get some heavy pounding rains, that can actually decrease levels because they're knocking the aphids to the ground where they're either getting drowned or they're becoming more vulnerable to things like ground beetles and rove beetles and things that are scouring the ground for prey. So we do know if there are, have been studies that have documented heavy rains can reduce aphid levels, not just in false crops, but in a lot of crops. We haven't had those heavy rains. Now, as far as temperatures go, pea aphid likes kind of moderate temperatures. Something in that uh, 23 to 28 range is ideal. That's where they're going to reproduce at their greatest rate. Once you get into the 30s, it can even slow down a little bit. So there's, just like with a lot of animals, there's it's almost like a bell curve where you have maybe suboptimal. They can still function and reproduce, but it's suboptimal. Then you get to a point where it's optimal and they'll produce their maximum number of young. And then you start going the other way when it gets too hot. And we've had a lot of days in the too hot range, actually, in Manitoba. But we've also had some ideal days. So, again, still something to keep an eye on. What about the implication for drought, John, when we think about plants' ability to compensate for any feeding damage? That's a super question because part of the reason aphids can be pests is they're competing for the, the sap of the plant. And so they're, they're a, basically a, a sink, right, if, if you will, for that plant sap. Now, obviously, you want all that sap going to the plant tissues that need it. And in the case of peas, lentils, faba beans, uh, any of the pulse crops, you want those seeds to be getting the sap they need to develop properly. So what happens when you have too many aphids feeding and you have drought stress, the drought stress will compound the effect of the aphids. And so uh, with the two of them, you have that reduced flow to the setting seeds. Now, in the case of the aphids and pulse crops, we don't worry as much about disease vectoring. It's more that direct feeding. And what does result is smaller seeds 
and less seed weight. And the again, the, the back to your question, the drought stress can magnify the impact that the aphids might have. And the, the plants just can't compensate for that lost sap as well. And speaking of competition, John, are there any insects that can be beneficial when it comes to controlling an aphid infestation? And what are those insects and, and how do they work um, to help control those aphid populations? Well, actually, there's quite a few. If you got an hour or two, uh, <laughs> actually, there, there, there's, there's quite a few. And maybe some, the, maybe the, the top three, like a few key I'll insects top, to look out for. <laughs> I'll give you the top four or five. How about that? That sounds um, good. <laughs> so uh, lady beetles, definitely, uh, both larvae and adult. There's something called hoverflies or surfid flies, which are wasp and bee mimics as adults. Their larvae are very good aphid predators, and the adults will lay the eggs right into aphid colonies. So they're right there feeding on the aphids. There's something called lace wings, and, and in particular, green lace wings. Um, as the name would imply, they've got these lacy green wings, fairly big insect. Their larvae in particular are very good at eating aphids and controlling them. We've got an insect called the damsel bug, a very long, narrow insect, also very quick. And they've got a beak for a mouth part, and they love putting that into an aphid and sucking the juice out. And we've got some very tiny insects called minute pirate bugs that, as the name would imply, are small, but also quite aggressive. And for a small little thing, they will even attack things sometimes bigger than themselves. And they can be very good aphid predators. What's good about pirate bugs is they can feed on plants and plant pollen and things, when there's no aphids around, they're often one of the first predators present on the plant. They don't do any damage to the plant, but they're often one of the first predators present when the aphids start arriving. And then once the aphids start building, the other ones start kicking in. So we have all these things there. And I I could extend my list greatly if I wanted to. There's a lot of other things, but those are a few that are the key ones. Last year, we were seeing a lot of hoverfly larvae when we were scouting the peas. Uh, they were moving in, finding the aphid colonies. They're actually attracted to, the, when aphids feed, they produce something called honeydew. It's a sugary liquid that comes out of their back end when they're feeding, and it gets all over the plant leaves. The hoverfly adults key in on this. They can smell this. When you've got a big colony of aphids producing a lot of honeydew, gives off this scent. Hoverfly larvae know exactly where to go to lay their eggs. Or the, the adults know where to go to lay the eggs. So the larvae, when they hatch out, can uh, feed on the aphids. Oh, that's interesting. So what are some of the telltale signs that would indicate the presence of aphids in a grower's field? And how, like, how much damage can they, can they cause? Okay, so telltale signs. And this is one of the things that's tricky about aphids, is you don't get really uh, obvious telltale signs until you have a lot of aphids. So in the case of aphids on peas or lentils. Usually you, you, don't see, you won't see plant tissue that's been removed unless it's a very severe infestation combined with a bit of drought stress. You won't really see a lot of wilting. It happens when you get uh, very severe infestations, but you can have an economic infestation and unless you're really looking, not really know it. And this is the key thing when you're scouting pulse crops or a lot of crops actually, is you have to purposely be looking for them. So in the case of, say, a pea crop, you'd want to be out there when it's flowering with a net, doing some sweeps, seeing if you can find aphids that way. Or 
take a tray or something, or even a piece of cardboard, and just start tapping some of the, um, the plant tips over that. And usually we suggest select about uh, 20 centimeters of plant tip and shake it over your tray or your piece of cardboard uh, and just see what you can knock out of that and do that in several areas. You'll get a good idea if the aphids are there, but sometimes just walking the field and not looking, these are tiny things that are often green, blend in very well. And until you get to very high levels, you're really not aware of what's happening around you. And as mentioned earlier, if you get too many of them, that will start impacting your seed weight and the number of seeds that get produced. Right. So when should growers start going into their fields and start looking for these for aphids? What kind of what's the time time frame around that? It's never too early to be looking, but the critical period is once you start getting into flowering. There's in a lot of in pulse crops, it's often the aphids competing for the setting seeds. That's the issue. But you don't want to be scouting when the seeds are forming. You want to know a little bit ahead of time that you might have an issue. So for a pea crop, we suggest going out when roughly half the plants have flowers on them. That's a good time. And start doing your looking then. And if you're above what we consider our economic threshold at flowering, and you do need to apply some controls, doing that when the young pods are just starting to develop is the ideal time because again you want to prevent that competition with the developing seed the early pod formation stage is the most sensitive to aphid feeding before we switch gears here a little bit rachel is there any other follow-up questions on aphids that you'd like to ask john i would ask maybe just what uh what's your preferred method of scouting what's kind of i know that there's different methods plant tip or sweeps do you have a preference that's a really good question and see i like using a sweep net because you get a a good idea of a lot of things that are happening in the field that it's really nice but i know some of our our modern pea varieties they grow tall and big and once you do start especially if you start getting some pod formation happening it becomes really tough to get a net through them so if your crop is too dense that a net is not going to go through it easily, then shaking the plant tips, as mentioned earlier, would be the preferred technique. If the crop is such that you can get a net to go through it easy, I, I enjoy sweep net sampling. But again, sometimes it's just not practical and uh, taking a handful of plant tips and shaking it over a tray works better. You probably get like a good sense of like, the beneficial populations as well with a net versus plant tip too, right? And so when we're thinking about the importance of beneficial insects to aphid populations, I imagine that a sweep net might give you a better representation maybe of what's what's going on in that field. And that's definitely true when you take sweep net samples. If you've got um, Lady beetles, lacewings, hoverflies, pirate bugs. You'll you'll see those in your your net samples. You might see the odd one when you're tapping plants as well. But the reality is that a lot of the um, the natural enemies they're also very quick. And when you're walking towards your area where you want to sample, sometimes they're dispersing away from you. When you're swinging a net in front of you, you would capture them. But when you're just tapping the plants, sometimes by the time you get there, some of the insects have moved away already. And what you're shaking out is the aphids, but maybe not seeing as much of some of the natural enemies. 
That's a really great point. Thanks a lot for that, John. So just switching gears a little bit here to another pest of pulse crops, what are some of the key things to keep in mind if ligus bugs are also found in pulse fields? So ligus bugs feed a little bit differently than aphids. Now, the similarity is they both have a beak for a mouth part, and they both feed on sap. Aphids will tap into the phloem and be feeding on the phloem sap. So again, they're competing with the seed for that phloem. Now, ligus bug feeds a bit differently. It's got that beak for a mouth part, but it likes to feed on the newest growth. So buds, flowers, and seeds. So the problem with ligus bug, if you have a young seed developing, instead of tapping into a leaf or a pedial or something, they will go right for that seed and they put their beak in the seed. The first thing they do is they inject a bit of saliva in. It kind of softens up an area. Then they suck up the juice. And often that saliva is a big part of the problem. In something like dry beans, you'll get a a dark spot on the bean. So something like, say, navy beans that are white. You'll have this very noticeable brown spot on the bean where the ligus put its saliva in and took up its sap. Uh, Lentils, same thing. You you get some direct damage to the seed. And uh, peas as well, uh, they don't seem to be as big a pest in peas as aphids are, but you can get some damage to them as well. And uh, so sometimes you do have both in a field, aphids and ligus bugs. And in some crops, that can be a real issue. Faba beans is one of them. Both aphids and ligus bugs can be major pests in faba beans. Okay, so would I be correct in assuming that ligus bugs can be a little bit more damaging to crops in lower numbers than aphids? In some cases, yes. And in many cases, we don't even have an economic threshold for them because the research just hasn't been done and people are still working that out. But uh, yes, in, in some crops, just a few ligus bugs per plant can certainly be a big issue. Whereas, uh, now, peas have a low th- lower threshold for aphids, but in some crops, you do need a lot of aphids for them to be a big issue, whereas ligus bug, just a few can be a problem. Okay, and back to the same question that I asked you about aphids, are there any insects that are particularly beneficial when it comes to controlling ligus bugs? So my list would be shorter because ligus bugs are very quick and they can move away from a lot of generalist predators. So things like hoverflies and even lady beetles and lacewings, they will feed on them, but they'd rather go for the easier prey like the aphids if given the choice. The group of insects that can make a dent in a ligus population are parasitic wasps. There's a particular group or, or genus of them called peristennis. And they're little black wasps that fly around and they really like to lay their eggs into the young ligus bugs. And then their larva develops inside the ligus bugs, kind of develops in the inside of it, eventually kills the ligus bug. So probably parasitoids would be the more effective control of ligus bug than generalist predators like your lady beetles, lace wings, hoverflies. They will help somewhat. And I have seen, in fact, I've got a photo of a lace wing larva eating a ligus bug nymph. They will catch them, they will feed on them, but probably not to the same extent as aphids where they just go into a colony and munch up dozens. Sounds appetizing. (laughs) Rachel, is there anything that you would like to know about ligus bugs? Well, John, ligus bug and tarnished plant bug, I feel like we often use the term interchangeably, but certainly there must be differences. What are those? 
Okay, so the short answer is tarnished plant bug is one species of ligus bug. So there's, there's actually, ligus is a genus. And it, so a genus is the next level up from species. So we've got really four or five different types of ligus bugs that can be somewhat common in the Canadian prairies. Tarnished plant bug is one of them. So tarnished plant bug is ligus linealis. It is a type of ligus bug. It is one of those several species. We've got something called ligus borealis. It is not tarnished plant bug, but it is a ligus bug. Tarnished plant bug is one species of ligus bug, but there are other species of ligus bug. Uh, in Manitoba and the eastern prairies, tarnished plant bug is our dominant ligus species. Perfect. And is there any type of weather conditions that ligus bugs like in particular? Well, uh, there, there has been studies showing, uh, once again, that heavy rainfall when the juveniles can uh, decrease their populations. So a hot dry is probably going to be beneficial for them in that regard, that, that you won't get that physical kill. Also, hotter weather to a point will speed up the life cycle a little bit. So they're going through their cycles a little bit quicker. Now, ligus, we get usually two cycles in the um, Canadian prairies, but things will be ramped up a little bit. Also with very damp weather, you get more pathogens, whether you're talking aphids or ligus bugs, there's greater potential for pathogens when it's damp. So hot, dry, like we've been getting, hot to a point is beneficial for both of them. Rachel, so what would your advice be to growers who are looking to control aphids or ligus bugs in their field? Well, I think just to summarize, I guess, um, all of the excellent information that John has been sharing with us this afternoon is that you've got to monitor fields very closely because aphids, just by virtue of their reproductive habits, can increase their populations very, very quickly. And so keeping an eye on field scouting early at, you know, early flower in your peas and lentils and faba beans, it's kind of some key crops and monitor those fields closely so that we can determine when fields are approaching those economic or nominal thresholds. At FMC, we have launched a new uh, insecticide. It's a group 29. The active ingredient is flinicamid and the product is called carbine. One of the, the key features of this new insecticide is that it's very selective to the piercing and sucking insects. And so when we think of a pest like aphids or ligus bug that are very susceptible to the, the predation from beneficial insects, because carbine is selective to aphids and ligus bug, it does have minimal impact to beneficial and, and pollinator insects when used according to the label. So you can, can think of it as sort of the, the cavalry behind the, uh, that initial line of defense, which is your beneficial insect population, and, um, and great to, to have another novel mode of action that we can use in our pulse crops and, and aphids. There's lots of information available on FMC's website. I won't uh, uh, go through all of that here, I think, on this podcast, but I encourage anyone who's interested in learning more about carbine insecticide to check out our website or reach out to myself, my counterpart, Nolan Kowalczyk, or any of the FMC uh, local account managers for more information. Thanks a lot for that, Rachel. And John, before we go, do you have any last tips for growers out there on, on controlling aphids or ligus bugs? 
Rachel's really uh, keyed in on a few uh, really important things. Know your fields, scout your fields, especially when things are getting to that flowering and very early potting stages. Make sure you're looking. Take note of whether you're seeing a lot of natural enemies. I know some farmers and some agronomists last year had some very tricky decisions to make because they were borderline economic threshold, in some cases above, but they noticed there was a lot of natural enemies there, what to do. But information is good, so uh, out, get out there and do those counts and know what you've got and what you're dealing with, and then you can try to select an appropriate control measure. And also keep an eye on what the weather forecast is too. Because as mentioned, sometimes a, a heavy rainstorm can knock populations down. So if you, you notice that you're at threshold, if they're calling for a severe thunderstorm in the next day or two, you could see if that does anything for you. And if you've got natural enemy levels that look like they could start bringing that population down, you could see if they will do the trick. But don't wait too long because once again, it's those very young pod say when when the seeds are very young in the pods that's the most vulnerable stage so if you're doing your scouting up flowering you don't have too much time that you can delay if you do need to do a treatment thanks a lot for that john and rachel for both of your insights that was a lot of great information you provided today thanks for having Thank us you. brought to you by high performing new carbine insecticide from fmc New Carbine Insecticide hits aphids hard with effective, selective, extended control. It also has activity on ligus and tarnished plant bugs. Ask your retailer today. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To hear more great research and perspectives from industry experts, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts or catch up on past episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.